the biggest challenge in rural health, I think, is is continues to be uh, financial support in every way, whether it be from the government, whether it be from local institutions, whether it be from nonprofits uh, or corporations, providing infrastructure and support and everything that's available to urban communities. That that continues to be a challenge. You know, if you're means to uh, provide for things is only based on your tax basis and you're in a community of 500, you're definitely not going to have the same resources that a city of a million has. So that I think that continues to be a challenge for, for rural. Welcome to This is Rural Health, a podcast from the California State Rural Health Association. The CSRHA is focused on ensuring that the needs and voices of rural Californians are expressed and heard and is continually working toward improving the quality and length of life of rural Californians. This podcast brings together leaders in rural healthcare with policy advisors, community leaders, and other forward thinkers to gain a better understanding of what's happening across today's rural healthcare ecosystem. Each week, you'll hear the unique perspectives of industry and community leaders and how they're finding innovative solutions to the challenges of a rapidly changing and increasingly complex healthcare industry. Welcome, everybody, to This is Rural Health. I am your host, Scott Hertzberg, president of the California State Rural Health Association. And in this episode, we're doing another board member profile. This time, we are with Jeff Dunbar, our uh, long-term board member. has been with us for a few years. Jeff, how's everything going? Everything's going great. Thanks for having me. Yeah, we're excited to do this. And I think one of the fun things that I've learned in doing a couple of these profiles is, you know, even though we've kind of been working alongside each other for the last few years with the CSRHA, we all have much more complicated and interesting lives outside of the, the board and the work that we do together. So I'm excited to let our listeners get a little peek behind the curtain for you. Fantastic. So kind of just to kick things off, I would be very interested to know, what is a fictional place that you would like to visit? If you could, you know, pack a suitcase and and take off for some fictional place. That's a surrealistic question. I think I would like to go to Narnia. Oh, okay. Would you like to... I'm reading Narnia to my kids right now. So would you prefer to go through the wardrobe or disappear through the seat of a train station? Yeah, <laughs> I would. I'd like the wardrobe. Uh, my grandmother had a, a big closet, and we lived with them uh, for a summer while we were in between houses because we were building a new one. And uh, she had this place that was put together from an old sailor from like turn of the century wood from a ship, and there was old cabinets and such that uh, we could climb into. And so that brings back memories. That would be a legitimate Darnia experience. You've got the nice old house and the big old wardrobe. That that's very cool. I like that. My kids are we're like halfway through the voyage of the Dawn Treader right now. So they would I think be much much with you on that zipping through to Narnia. All right. So whether you're taking it to Narnia or not, what is something that you cannot leave your house without? Well, fictional or otherwise, uh, I do run a company that is involved with physician services at hospitals. And so I have to have the cell phone with me at all times in case someone doesn't show up for a shift or there's some sort of uh, non-clinical emergency that I have to take care of. So phone's always in pocket, whether I'm working or not. I was just talking with someone who said, we need a better word 
than a phone to describe this thing that, you know, for some people, it's like a medication reminder. For some people, it is a phone. For others, it's like how I run my business. I do everything in it, right? Like phone is everything. It's the tricorder. Pocket computer. Yeah, absolutely. I'm, I'm with you on that one. I was very surprised. Um, Jody's answer, she said chapstick. That's the one thing that she never leaves without. And that gave me pause for a bit. I probably should say sunscreen given my fair skin, but uh, <laughs> we all we all just need to have a sunscreen dispenser at the door. Um, okay, and then what is a hobby that you'd love to get into with your free time running a business and gallivanting to Narnia? Gosh, I've always wished I could play the piano. Oh, yeah, I, I'd love to do. I'd love to be able to tinkle the ivories with some ragtime. Yes. We've got like a hundred year old piano here and I keep telling my wife, I'm like, I'm just going to like take secret lessons while you guys are all at like home and you know, you'll just, I'll just like one day we'll be down at Christmas and I'll just start playing and everyone will be just blown away. We had one that was a, a great amenity to the living room, but none of the kids glommed on to, to lessons and I never took it up myself. And so we ended up giving it to a family member who actually played. Oh, well, that's good. You know, it goes to a good home. Those things are so amazing. They're, you know, beyond gorgeous furniture, right? If you can get everybody around to to play. But we did spend a fortune on getting it too. None of us ever played it. <laughs> and if you've watched a piano get moved, it is the most nerve-wracking thing. We have, you know, when they just like flip it up on its side. I remember getting such panic because I'm thinking, this is like this, you know, 100-year-old gorgeous piece of furniture. What are you doing? The guy's like, this is the safest way to move it. Yeah, you're afraid all the keys are going to fall out. Right. All right. So you mentioned that you run a business, you got physician services, and uh, the name of the company is Offsite Care. Yep. So what what is it that you do? What does Offsite Care do? What do you do at Offsite Care? Yeah, as the name might imply, we provide care from offsite. And so we are a physician services organization and we do telemedicine. And so we provide uh, remote ICU care to hospitals, um, often rural hospitals that don't have an intensivist available locally. And so for whatever reason, because the community is too small to support someone to hang a shingle up there and, and practice, or they just can't afford it, or it's in a geographically challenged location, we come in, we help the hospital establish a technology platform that can be used for the audio video interaction. And then our physicians will beam in to that technology and see the patients remotely. And so other than procedures, we can do everything a physician can do with their hands in their pockets when they walk into a room. That is incredible. So the last, and you've been doing this for more than the last couple of years, right? This is not a 15 or more years. Yeah. Because I remember, you know, that you're kind of our, our pocket telemedicine expert. And then COVID happened and everybody had to scramble to learn how to do this. It, it makes my conversations a little bit easier because I don't have to explain what telemedicine is so much as I did before. And if you can offer that solution to folks who who had to scramble and are patching together, you know, let's do a FaceTime visit on our personal phones and, and all that. Right. Not, not quite HIPAA compliant. Not quite. Uh, what led you to working in this field, especially, you know, considering that you've been in it for a while and not 
just because it's a new trendy thing. So I've, I've been in healthcare my entire uh, professional career, uh, starting out working for an HMO and then uh, worked for uh, pharmaceuticals and then medical device and then dental, and then had an opportunity to go into business with my father-in-law, who is uh, a pulmonologist, intensivist, critical care boarded physician. And he had this vision of bringing urban, you know, big time ICU care to uh, rural communities. So our first our first customer was Howard Memorial Hospital, an Adventist hospital in Willits, California, and um, they're still a customer of ours. Uh, so we run their ICU twenty four seven. Yeah, that's that's incredible. You know, it's always great when you know most of the time when we when we're talking about like innovation in healthcare, it's really iterative. So when we get these big leaps like this that are so vital to the community, you know, I know that in my time at Adventist, like Howard is is it right in that area. So that's that's fantastic that you're able to provide that service. Yeah, what's really cool about that particular site is, you know, they built a whole new hospital. And so we've been with them since pre-new facility and now in the new facility. And uh, But, you know, despite the fact that this gorgeous edifice and has lots of amenities that didn't have before, you still don't have the manpower uh, from a clinical perspective to take care of patients. And so what telemedicine does, it provides this win-win-win. So the the patient gets to stay local so they can be near family and uh, friends and loved ones while they recover. They can be near their primary care physician while they're being cared for. The hospital fills a bed that otherwise would go unfilled because they had to transfer, ship out the patient to a, a tertiary facility. And and then we get to, you know, employ a physician that can be productive in multiple places at the same time uh, because of the benefit of telemedicine. A physician doesn't have to travel from their private practice to the hospital, to the clinic, and, you know, back and forth. They can just beam into one place and beam into another place and and so forth. So you can have one doctor covering multiple beds and multiple sites. And so it's basically a model of efficiency. Yeah, you're really getting the specialist that you need, you know, and not and not bound by the geography or, you know, we can get the exact expert you need here in three days, right? It can be the right right care at the right time in the right location. That's kind of what triple aim, right? Like that's yeah, that's perfect. So in in your last 15 years, we'll say there, what's something that really surprised you about working there? So often challenged with the vision of the champion that is uh, bringing telemedicine to a new location. So it either comes in the form of, say, a CEO who saw a presentation or went to a conference or just heard from someone else of this great innovation of telemedicine and how it can perhaps reduce some costs or create greater efficiencies or provide care that's not normally there. And then um, they bring it to you know, the clinical leadership and they say, uh, how can you treat a patient without touching them? And, and, and so that becomes a challenge. Or the reverse is you have uh, a clinician champion who is really excited about the innovation of telemedicine, what it can bring to the facility and how it can help them provide better care for their patients. And the, you know, the leadership on the administrative side just sees it as another associated with providing care. And so it's, it's a new cost center, um, but they don't really see the value that it can provide in reducing costs, uh, again, by 
generating revenue by filling a bed that would, you know, otherwise go empty or preventing physician burnout. That That's another advantage of telemedicine is, you know, if you have a physician that's doing private practice or doing hospital medicine, and then also having to be on call at night and then come back in and go to work the next day, that, that creates a lot of burnout. Um, but if you have telemedicine at night, it works really well. Oh, I didn't even think about that. Yeah. Yeah. So we, we have most, most of our customers use our services at nighttime, if not 24-7, but mostly. It's like the best version of, you know, after hours service that you could have. That's really cool. Yeah. I mean, because if you can call, even in large facilities, I mean, someone can come in on telemedicine if they're on the other side of campus much quicker than somebody walking across campus. But certainly if someone is having to come in from home, you know, whether they have to get up or shower or get dressed or, you know, and, and then drive to the facility, if they can just beam in and see the patient and one, assess well, is this urgent enough for me to come in or can I just adjust their their fluids or, you know, give some pain medication or whatever that the attending is, is needing uh, to, to help stabilize that patient? Then it, it becomes way, way more efficient. Oh, I love this. I had not considered that uh, as a supplementary, you know, sort of situation. So that's really cool that it, I, I learned something new today. Yay. I'll check that off my list of things to learn. So what is something, you know, work-related accomplishment that you're really proud of? I, you know, I'm really proud of the care that we provided to some Kaisers in Southern California during COVID. They get got struck exceptionally hard in the Los Angeles, Southern Los, Los Angeles area, and they just could not, you know, provide enough manpower to cover all the patients that were coming into their facilities. And so we were seeing patients, you know, critical care patients in the ED, in the emergency department, um, you know, and or on the ward or a step down that should be ICU patients. And, and so um, we very rapidly uh, stood up a program for them. It was a, a, temp- a short-lived program for, for a few months, but it was really, I think it was uh, a benefit to them. And normally, you know, Kaiser doesn't typically go outside their own system for for uh, help in that way. And, and so, I, you know, I'm proud of the fact that we were able to step up, get a bunch of physicians credentialed really quickly and trained up and, and coverage provided for those. Yeah, that's that's amazing because you're you're 100 right there. Kaiser does not necessarily go outside. Yeah. So it was it was three three facilities that, that we were doing that at the same time. That's incredible. Well, I I know that I have been particularly thrilled to have someone who I'd consider subject matter expert as part of the board. But I'm very curious what drew you to join the CSRHA because you've been on the board for four or five years now. Yeah, I think I think because initially our key focus as a company in the type of customer we were looking to help were rural. So, you know, our our target audience were were rural hospitals that didn't have an local intensivist or critical care doctor. And so I was attracted to the fact that that was the focus of of our organization as a board as focused on rural. Well, and and I think the work that you're doing that offside care is doing is, you know, incredibly valuable, but especially in a state the size of California, where geography is a real factor. I mean, not that it isn't elsewhere, but it really is. If the person that you, you know, we're talking hours and hours, if the person that you absolutely need to see is based in, you know, Los Angeles 
and you are in you know the northern part of the state like that could be an hour and a half flight on a very very good day with everything lining up but more likely that we're talking a day or so right to coordinate all that so yeah, or even in situations like, like I say, at Mendocino Coast, where they have, you know, flight issues because of fog and weather. And so even if, you know, you have a helicopter ready to go pick somebody up and bring them to Santa Rosa or somewhere else, San Francisco, you know, it, it just can't happen. And so they end up having to go on on ground transportation, which could take hours and hours. And, and uh, you know, they might not get the critical care that they need on site. So Or, you know, press two buttons and connect. Yeah, right. Exactly. Well, that's that's incredible. So as we we shift to, let's say, a little more personal, you know, what advice would you give to your teenage self, to teenage Jeff, who's got the whole wide world in front of him? I think I would have I would have advised myself to go to business school. I, I didn't. It wasn't something that I had planned on doing in, at an early age. My degree is in English literature. And so I didn't become a playwright. And so, and so I, I've been in business, like I said, my, my entire professional career, and, and it has been in healthcare. So maybe if I'd gotten a, a degree that was more specific to that, if the learning curve might have been less steep. Yeah, yeah. There's something to be said, though, for having to fight for that knowledge. You know, my, my wife is a teacher, and she says that, like, for kids where, where it comes really easily to them, they take it for granted, but those who have had to fight for it, like they make new neural pathways, they hold on to it better, they're better at communicating about it. So, you know, maybe you're where you are now because you had to like dig a little harder to to pick up and retain all that information. Because Google was available. Because Google was available. My life revolves around Google and YouTube videos. So how do I do this? Let me ask Google. But yeah, it that's powerful to think that the you know the trajectory of of all your work is because you had you had a vision and you were willing to work for it you know even though you could have been a playwright and you still can be a playwright that's true in all my spare time in your spare time in narnia playing the piano writing plays i think i think it could happen so you know especially in the last couple of years resilience has been something that has been a big part of why we in healthcare are able to do what we do because even when everything gets really really rough we're still able to dig down just that little bit deeper for you and what you've seen you know why do you feel maybe that resilience is an important skill to cultivate in, in when working in rural health yeah, I think uh, one thing is that finances are always a challenge for rural communities. And so, you know, finding new ways to help a, a community with their their clinical challenges. So finding, you know, budgetary you know fixes and, and new models and ways in which we can help a community kind of rise up from their uh, budgetary challenges and financial setbacks because of of whether it be because of COVID or because of, you know, a fire or some other, you know, disaster. I, I think that just reinforces the need for resiliency in us as an organization, CSHRA, and offsite care and, and me personally, because if we just say we can't do it, then everybody loses. So um, being resilient in a, in a way that helps the community, you know, pick itself up and find new solutions, I think is is key. All right. And I will say, you know, what do you what do you know now that you didn't know 
pre-pandemic, we'll say three years ago, what's something that, that you really know now that 2019 version of you just did not know? You know, I think video conferencing is a, an effective tool to do business. When I think of my past days as a road warrior and insisting on, you know, pressing the flesh and having face-to-face conversations with folks, I can't tell you how many, you know, two-hour drives I made to meet with a CEO who, for whatever reason, couldn't make the appointment. And then I had another two-hour drive back. And while you can you know, do business on the phone, you, you're not effective. You can't look at your computer. You can't send email. You can't do these other things uh, during that travel time. And so much more efficient doing business over the internet than, than I was before. Yeah, I mean, we're we are doing this interview using that technology, and my goodness, has it changed so much? Yeah, and from a cost perspective as well. I mean, um, just the other day, I had a conversation with uh, someone in with a hospital in Oregon, and uh, if I had to fly up there, you know, get a room, rent a car, all that would have been a, a lot of exploratory costs for something that might not come to fruition. Well, and just the time, right? Like that's a day lost, even though a flight from from Northern California to Oregon is, you know, a couple of hours, like that's the time getting to the airport, waiting at the airport, getting back, like all of that, that... Exactly. Yes, you could cram in work during that time or, you know, talk to the Oregon person now and then talk to... Yeah, 10 more people. Yeah, in two hours from now. So, yeah. And and I think that the fact that it seems the Fed has started to really acknowledge that telehealth is a thing, you know, a few years later than we would have liked, but, you know, that only spells, you know, good news for the rest of us. Yeah. So, uh, you know, if they keep these payment schemes in place, you know, after the initial throngs of the pandemic, you know, I think it's here to stay and it'll survive. Certainly, it's been shown to be an effective tool. So hopefully, you know, Medicare, Medicaid continues to reimburse for, for those clinical interactions. Yeah. And, and at the very least, it's kind of forced upon us a new infrastructure for the way we do business, whether we're in healthcare or not, or whether we're using it specifically for telehealth or not. I know I work from my house. My boss works from her house. She's in Boston. I'm in Roseville, but we're able to, you know, sync up our time zones and work and not deal with all that mess of simply commuting, right? And it's improved my quality of life because I get to spend way more time with my family. So, you know, even though I may be putting in more work hours, it's not as stressful as it used to be. So add that into not having to take time off to travel to get to a healthcare appointment you know, between my, my kids and myself, like it's all, it's all good. (laughs) More, more efficient, uh, more cost efficient. And, uh, like you said, work, work life balances. I don't know. I, I, I worked, you know, beyond normal hours anyways. And so this just takes out all that drive time and just makes it more efficient. All right. So we're going to round out our conversation today. Uh, and I'll say from from your perspective, where you're sitting uh, with offsite care or, or personally, we'll say, what do you see as our biggest challenge in rural health? And how can we encourage our audience of listeners 
to get involved to kind of meet that challenge? The biggest challenge in rural health, I think, is is continues to be uh, financial support in every way, whether it be from the government, whether it be from local institutions, whether it be from nonprofits uh, or corporations, providing infrastructure and support and everything that's available to urban communities. That, that continues to be a challenge. You know, if you're means to uh, provide for things is only based on your tax basis and you're in a community of 500, you're definitely not going to have the same resources that a city of a million has. So that I think that continues to be a challenge for, for rural. Yeah, I, I agree with you. And hopefully awareness of the programs that exist, organizations like Offside Care, the work that we're doing at CSRHA can help shine a better light on some of the solutions. Well, Jeff, thank you so much for taking some time to talk about yourself. I know it's not always easy, but I think that I know I appreciate it. And I know that many of our listeners appreciate learning a little bit more about the folks who make up the board of the California State Rural Health Association. Listeners, if you are interested in you know, getting more involved in the CSRHA, uh, you can just reach out to us, assistant at csrha.com. Can send us or org. You can send us an email there. Podcast at csrha.org. You know, reach out and if you want to get more involved, whether that is just as a member or be a board member, you know, we are always willing to talk to new folks and can flex our communal strengths to improve the healthcare of folks in rural California. So thank you very much, Jeff. And I'm going to go read some Narnia to my kids. Thanks for having me, Scott. It was a pleasure. Fun doing this. This is Rural Health is the official podcast of the California State Rural Health Association and is made possible by the generosity of our members. Our producer is Noelia Sanchez at Noteworthy Lab. To learn more about the CSRHA or to become a member, visit us at csrha.org. If you have a suggestion for a future guest or topic for the show, email us at podcast at csrha.org. To make sure you don't miss any future episodes, please be sure to like and subscribe to our podcast and to follow us on Twitter at CSRJ Podcast. Thank you so much for your continued support of the California State Rural Health Association. This is Rural Health is copyright by the California State Rural Health Association. To find out more about the CSRHA, visit us at csrha.org.